Welcome to Japan on Film Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and back today with uh, a new episode and a new guest. I'd like to welcome a fellow podcaster, and that's Mason Kalon. Mason, how are you doing today? Uh, pretty good. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, sorry, I got a little one screaming next to me, so let's yeah. get her. <laughs> Be a little bit quiet. So, uh... so um, first thing I'd like to do is I'd like you to uh, tell, the, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I'm a podcast host. We call it MC Anime. Uh, we cover anime, geek culture, and Japanese aesthetics or slash Asian studies. Um, it's dedicated to those three areas. However, geek culture is pretty broad, so I like to expand upon that and give different clarity about different genres that apply in like niche areas. Um, thought about October last year. Transitioned from my blog into a podcast. So MC Anime was actually my blog name before I actually did podcasting. It was a passion when I did blogging, and it was an avenue that I found uh, to do communicating my passion on the internet. And it was fun, but it got very tiresome. Um, also, a little bit about me is I want to study mass communications, so podcasting is perfect for that. It combines anime and uh, audio production together. And you can find me at uh, uh, Facebook, Blog MC Anime, uh, and also you can put the uh, social media handle at, at capital B, L, O, G, capital M, capital C, uh, capital A, a and I and E, blog MC anime, all that just on social media handle. Okay, so um, how's the response been to the podcast so far? Have you gotten uh, people listening to it and enjoying it? Yeah, I have about like a, a thousand downloads in total. It's, not, it's pretty good. I have a good response from it. Good, very cool. And how did you uh, get interested in, in anime and, and Japanese type stuff in the first place? Well, I think the main trend, the big transition for anime for me was mostly the DC and animated, uh, DC and Marvel animated TV shows. I started re-watching them when I watched them as a child and just the medium from animation started sticking more for me. And then that's why I got into Japanese anime. Sorry, I had the little one screaming a little bit over here. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, um, I'm also a big Marvel and DC guy from way back. So I, I, my other podcast is actually all about superhero movies and TV shows. So, so you're speaking my language right there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, was there any um, kind of anime that Japanese wise that was really kind of like your, what I like to call your gateway drug into, into this world? I mean... I have vivid memories of watching Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh as a child, but gateway-wise, I don't know if I'm really gateway. I just start watching it after my phase with rewatching uh, superhero shows. Okay, very cool. And uh, today we're talking. Um, and it's fitting. It's good that we have you on for uh, for today because we are talking about an anime film. Um, uh, one of the early Studio Ghibli films, yes. and that is uh, 1988 Grave of the Fireflies uh, mm -hmm. in Japanese, Kotaro no Haka. And it's, um, it's one of those animated movies that really kind of elevated the, the medium and, um, compared to, and really showed people that this is more than, than just stuff that, that's for kids. Um, so uh, my first exposure to it was actually fairly recently because I had uh, yeah. I, my students had requested it for uh, our last film of the semester, and so we ended up watching that, and that was my first exposure to it. Was just like a you know literally a few weeks ago. Um, but how about you? What was your first exposure to this movie? Um, my first exposure um, is okay. So I watched it with some Studio Ghibli. But I think my main exposure to the uh, did Asian we had did Asian 
uh, study. That was uh, studying aging civilization. That was a history class. And one of the things we had was grave of fireflies being very prominent in the war aspect and also representing Japan during the time that we were doing it. So we had to write a film analysis. You know, is this historically accurate? Does the events represent what they should do? And then they answer questions and stuff like that. So I have like a different perspective from that when I also post watch it as well. And that experience proved more successful than I thought it would because it wasn't through a, it was from a historical perspective, not a film class per mm -hmm. se. So we were looking for the historical elements and applying that in the essay that we wrote. So it was also a film assignment plus watching the movie. Sorry, I'm getting some emails popping up here. I'll close that out of the way. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so the, the history aspect is, is one of the things that I, I focus on a lot uh, when I taught this film as well. Um, and it's it's actually based, it, it's semi-autobiographical, um, mm -hmm. or I guess semi-biographical yeah. is probably a better way to say it, because it was, the, the short story it was based on was written by Akiyuki Nosaka, and this was inspired by his own experiences um yeah. in uh during the during the bombing raids and of uh, the u.s bombing raids of, of japan and his experiences with his sister and also the director um isao takahata he also experienced he was also a, a child during the bombings um although he had a slightly better experience none of his family uh mercifully died or anything like that but yeah just like the experience of being there, he brought a lot of that. Um, one of the things yeah. in one of the interviews I read that he said was um, that the way most movies depict fire bombings is, is completely wrong. It's not like these big yeah. explosions. It's just like fire raining down. And I thought that yeah. was, um, and I thought this movie really did a really good job of, of capturing that. Yeah, I believe it did because for me, For me, it captured one specific, it captured the reality of what war looked like. It, you know, you can get involved in the storyline, feel for the character, but also at the same time, know that whatever's going to happen is historically accurate in setting. Not everything in the movie is like 400% nonfiction. But for me, I like it because it's a callous to what that time was. And, you know, to me, Japan started that animation because of World War II. They had, they did the entire um, early versions of the war campaign, what their experience was. And that's another movie that you can add about that's led to the line that's still in that similar genre, the war genre that came after World War II. Yeah, I thought um, those aspects of it, the uh, the fact that it it touches on some of the, the misconceptions and the, you know, basically the lies that the Japanese government had told the people was one of the aspects of the movie that was, that was very well done. Um, there's the fact that Seita, throughout the entire movie, he, he's wearing the, the naval cap that, that his father gave him. And, you know, people are telling him, oh, you know, your father, uh, you're a Navy boy, you're, you're, you know, your father's a Navy man, you've got to be strong, you've got to, and you all this kind of stuff. And I thought having that aspect of him and, uh, and also the scene when he's, you know, reciting the, when he's, when he's telling Setsuko about the, the war rally that they had been to or the war demonstration, and he's, and he's remembering the music and then he's singing along with it and he and he's miming the the soldier moves and then he realizes that he's just staring at the at the fireflies against the blanket and he looks over and sets goes asleep and he just kind of there's kind of like this realization in that there's the war has kind of taken everything from him and that also doubly so when he finds out about the surrender and he and he kind of has this moment of denial when he's like, oh, but it's the it's the great empire of Japan. You know, we can't be, you know, how can we how can we lose? Um, and then yep. and, and 
then he and then he screams out, you know, you know, I hate you, father, and and all of that. And, and you really realize that, you know, he's been completely lied to his whole life. And I think that's it, it's a very powerful uh, a moment in that film. And I think it echoes what a lot of people who were in that situation experienced at the time, especially young people, because um, I'm remembered of Kinji Fukasaku, who directed Battle Royale and the Yakuza Papers series, who he had said that, you know, he had worked in a, in a munitions factory when he was like 15 years old during the war, and it was bombed. And, and it wasn't until after the war that he realized that, you know, they had been completely lied to. And I thought the movie did a really good job of kind of indicting yeah. that aspect of the war. And also to pay long on the fire, um, the significance of that moment is very surreal because now you connect to the character, but you also get the different side of what is the reality, what is the truth, because mm -hmm. that epiphany moment brings you in this the character. It not only drives the plot from further from that point, but it also supports the further point of not everything is cut and dry. You have to have a different perspective to gain the new realization that it might not be the perspective that you have, which I think is really important to achieve because as humanity, we strive to understand the world. And that all the time is our perspective, that understanding that we want. So we need new perspectives to have new understanding. And by having a new understanding, we can achieve a different meaning. And that different meaning gives us a branch off into what that reality is, what those shoes are like, and provides a profile of what it could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that was, it's very well said. And I think having that other perspective and and that's why I love movies like this that show you the perspective from the, the civilian side of it, because um, when, uh, like, you know, I, I was born and raised in America, and, you know, when we studied World War II in, in school and all that, it, it's always presented as, as very one-sided, as, you know, and in, in some ways, there there's some elements of truth to that, right? There are you know, Japan was very, had a very fascistic government at the time. They were imprisoning people. They were, you know, brutal colonizers all across, all across Asia. All of that is true, but you look at what was, what the people were going through. And, and I think movies like this really kind of shine a light on the fact that the, the civilians were just as much victims of the fascism as anyone else was. And I think the movie like this really helps to show that. Oh yeah, I think it does really well with that as well. And from my perspective, I think it's proven stronger, but not because not only that, but there's other elements of like heart to heart moments that you just want to reach up to the character and be with them. Mm -hmm. that, it creates that, so that moments to connect to the character even more. And with, uh, Brave the Fireflies, I think it's very strong in that capacity to realize. Yeah, and the it, I I feel for the characters so much in this movie, um, especially you know since becoming a father myself, like I yep. relate so much to to what Sata's dealing with and trying to protect his sister, mm -hmm. and just like you know his sister being so young, right? Setsuko's like, you know, four or five years old in this movie. And, you know, my own daughter is only, is only one year old. So it's, it's very, very similar kind of ideas. And, you know, it, it's, and I noticed the, the, the types of things, the way he acts with Setsuko, the way he tries to, um, you know, tries to hide the worst of things from her. And yeah. when you remember the fact that he's, he's only 14, 15 years old. He's a kid himself. I mean, an adult would have trouble dealing with all this kind of pressure and you put that on a kid and, you know, you, it, it's hard to even imagine, you know, yeah. how strong, how, how much, you know, he would have gone through in that time. Oh yeah. And, you know, he has to, I only hide the truth, give it new, whatever meaning he wants. But I really think the, uh, 
the fire flaws are really significant because there's mm-hmm. different moments in the movie they each come out, but they all have a different symbolicness to them. Yeah, yeah. so that's a that's and a good like, thing. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, with the fireflies, you have like different situations and how they present themselves. Each situation has significant because the fireflies actually a symbol of hope or a different meaning. That light is like a different um, reality presented. Mm-hmm. That in that moment, it's really symbolic because of that. Yeah, I um there and there's a lot of there's apparently an ongoing debate in in the in the fan community about this movie about what the fireflies represent. Um I'm not sure how how familiar you are with those discussions. Uh yeah, for me, I, I um I kind of avoided them myself just because I didn't want to be have my own opinion to influence when I when I talk to my students about it. But the way I kind of looked at it is the thing that the line that struck strikes me is Setsko's line, one of the most famous lines in the movie, um, yep. when she says, "Why must fireflies die so soon?" And that I thought that was so striking. And I and I and there's a lot of different ways you can look at it, um, which is probably why there's such debate in the fan community about it. But yep. the way I I kind of looked at it is it's it's kind of a it, they're they're kind of a symbol of you know human life in general and just like how yeah. fragile life is i mean the fact that they they you know they come out they they burn bright they have they create all this beauty um uh, but then they quickly die and they're, they're gone almost, yeah. almost like that i thought i thought that was a very poignant metaphor for what they're going through and because mm-hmm. you know setsuko and seita themselves particularly setsuko i think because she's such a bright spot in, in the movie you know, she's really a fight. She's really, you know, the firefly connecting her with that, I think is something that I really, that was the connection I gravitated towards myself. Uh, how about you? What were some of the, the symbolism that you personally thought or that you've heard of discussed before? Well, uh, I actually had to bring it up in the uh, assignment when I did it in the history class. Um, I gave it meaning like I analyzed the moment and what what I thought the firefly represented. So what I thought it represented was the moment when a different reality is pictured. And in that different reality, we actually have a glimpse of what it could be outside of what the situation is. Because the fireflies are very glowing, very bright, and give off a very different feeling with the other what the movie is portraying. You could go with the route that it's bright because of the fire in the background. But I think it's a different type of brightness. It's not the fire brightness, it's the yellow. And yellow is usually a new beginning. Yellow is hopefulness. You know, when you think of yellow, you think of the sun. The sun gives life. And when life, you have different outcomes, and there's outcomes present themselves in different in various ways. You can look at it as, well, the sun's giving me life. How about the fireflies? The fireflies are represent, represent representative of that light. So in my case, the fireflies are the beacon for hope, just like the lighthouses for the ships and the sea. Okay, that's a that's an interesting take on it. Yeah, that that that's very cool. I like that. Um, another thing too is the the association with the the kamikaze because oh, yes. they 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 often um, they're often referred to, and there have been nu- numerous movies about kamikaze that have used some variation of firefly in the title or in the marketing campaign or or whatever. And I thought, um, and there's even that one scene when they're laying on the ground and they look up and they see one of the zero fighters flying overhead and, and Setsuko makes the comment that, Oh, you know, it's just like the, they, they look just like fireflies. And I thought that was interesting because there's this. Um, so I live here, here in Kagoshima, there's um, a, a kamikaze museum and where you can go there and you can read a lot of the, the, the final messages and the final letters that um, the pilots wrote before they went on their missions. And, it's it's heartbreaking to to read it because these were 
these were kids, right? They're like, you know, yeah. 17, 18, 19, 20, like the oldest was like around 25 or so. And just, you know, all that like wasted potential and like all that. And it's just, I think that's, that's another, that's another link too. Um, that's another link to, that I made too, as well with the idea of life being so fleeting and just yeah. war, just kind of snuffing out all the, all these lives as well. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and something else too is when you're talking about the rebirth, that also reminded me of the the memory scene when Seta is remembering the the photograph that he took with his parents, and and you have the sakura, the cherry blossoms falling in the background. And I thought that was another powerful imagery because just like the very similar to the fireflies, right? The the sakura are are very beautiful. They're they're also symbols of of rebirth of life but they also die so quickly right that yeah and, and i think available in the spring when the summer hits they like go out to be the leaves and all that stuff right exactly yeah so i thought that, so limited. yeah and i thought that was another interesting aspect of it is incorporating those the, the cherry blossoms into that scene because that and i think and Seta doesn't realize it at the time, right? Because he's, you know, he's being a kid. He's making funny faces at, at the camera and all that kind of stuff. But looking back on it now, he realizes just how fleeting that moment was and just and how that was like the last chance that his family had to to be a family, really. Yeah, and I think it's uh, very strong of that fact because, you know, when they were family, they were together. Mm -hmm. When the war happened, they were all separated. No one was together anymore. So the war took on a new persona of taking people away from loved ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The war effort. You know, during this time, you didn't have everyone because everyone was either in war in the campaign or covering the war or doing something related to the industry. Like even you know, uh, the entire industries that we caused were dedicated to the war effort. You know, mm -hmm. everyone was shifted from normal life to prepare for war. And I think with uh, Imperial Japan during this time, the belief of, you know, nationalism and the overall global worldview presented them an opportunity, you know, which it's controversial, but gave them the headway to justify uh, them as basically the best nation in Asia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Domination of that and that culture is what we see. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, very well said. And something else, too. Um, I want to talk about his aunt a little bit because I think the, the aunt's an oh, interesting yes. character in I this movie. Yeah. And because, you know, she. And I think she does. She really illustrates that 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 Japanese concept of honne tatemai, right? The whole idea of like mm -hmm. there's this the the, pub, the the whole idea of the two faces, right? There's the public face yeah. and there's the private face. And you know when she welcomes them, in, she welcomes them into her house. When she's talking to other people, she's they're like, oh, you know, it's so good of you to take in these orphans and all this kind of stuff. And but then as mm -hmm. time goes on and she starts, you know, she starts criticizing them be, when, when nobody else is looking, right? She's saying, you know, oh, you, you know, you're, you're not working, you're lazy. Um, and, you know, even the fact that, she, you know, she steals her, their rice, like she's, she takes that rice from them and Setsuko even mentions, you know, but wasn't that our rice to begin with? And, and um, I thought that was, yeah. that was interesting. And I thought it was very representative mm -hmm. of, the, the Japanese society. It reminded me of a similar scene in um, Letters from Iwo Jima when mm -hmm. the, the the Baker, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, but um, the Baker character, yeah. he, he it, it's really good. Um, it's, it's a wonderful movie, uh, heartbreaking, but, but really worth a watch. Um, but there's this one scene when one of the characters, we see how he was drafted into the Imperial Army and they, and two of the women from like the you know, the city community or the city council or whatever, they come over to tell him with the soldier and his wife protests and his wife says, you know, no, no, no. But, you know, you don't understand, like, we're about to have a baby. He's all I have. And, um, 
and the the old women in the in the in the council they kind of freak out a little bit and they're just like you know what we've all had to do this we've all and there's this brief moment where like the the cover drops from their eyes and you know it's this idea of all this social pressure on having to contribute to the war effort even on you know the weakest and most vulnerable of us i thought that was i thought that was a, thought that was a really good representation in the ant's character yeah and also the uh fanatical nature of it as well because when you think of the ant's perspective she's taking them in but she wants them to work and you know the sister crying and said to try in his best but not achieving what she wants really achieves that nature of well why are you here if you don't help me i'm mm -hmm. helping you so please help me because you need to earn your keep even in times of war there's things there's certain things you need to do in order to be ahead and you know because those little things is if you don't have the routine, then the war is just going to take over. Mm -hmm. So I think the art is like reminiscent of the fact that there is war. We need to do these daily activities to keep up and actually not get behind. Because if we get behind, then we just have the war. We're not actually in a moment of stimulated peace, as you say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good point, too. I hadn't considered that the fact that it's it's a way of maintaining routines, but um, th that is a really interesting point. Uh, also, the 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 farmer, too, I thought that was another interesting twist mm -hmm. on him, because you really see how basically all these adults in in their lives fail them. And yeah. and I think that's that's a it's a very powerful connection to the. How, how, how the government had, because that was, again, taking it back to Fukusaku, that was something he had believed. He's like the, you know, adults had failed us. And I think that message is kind of, and I think that's why you see so many of these World War II era movies with, um, when they're focused on the civilians, they focus on the young people. I think that's a, that's a very big reason for it. Um, there's another thing um, that really kind of, stuck out to me and that's when after Setsuko dies and he's mm -hmm. he's getting ready to to cremate her and there's this there's this shot when um the the family comes home and they're they're right across the the river from where Setsuko and Seta were, were staying and you know they're like oh you know it's so nice we, the home's here everything's okay and they go up and they play the gramophone and they play that music um the the song is home sweet home they play and it's right across the stream you and she talks the woman and the girl talks about it it's like oh i've missed this beautiful view and i i think that the class implications there were were very powerful for me the whole idea of you know the the rich and the powerful they they got to escape the worst of it whereas yeah. it was the it was the regular people it's you know and that's that's true of war in, in any generation, in any country, it's, you know, the people who are the most affected by it, the people who are, who lose the most are the people who have the least. Yeah, and that has been present throughout different times because mm -hmm. the people that have the poor nature, when they lose it, they can't necessarily gain it as someone who has the wealth to regain it. The wealth disparity across centuries have been a main problem anyway. And Japan's mm -hmm. been one of those uh, wealth disparity uh, metaphors because it's always a recurring thing because the Japanese society, not everyone has all the money. Um, until now, after the transition of World War II, it became a democracy. So big business became a way to get more money. Mm -hmm. but traditionally, big money wasn't really it was more into the royalty or the shogun, people of higher up in society that were determined by status and that set of uh, economic prosperity as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, it, it also reminded me of, because before I taught this movie, uh, a movie that we mm -hmm. had watched fairly, er, fairly recently in my class was The Emperor in August, which is about 
mm. the emperor's decision to to surrender at the end yep. of the war and yep. the the thing that struck me is watching those two movies back to back is seeing an, an emperor in august and it's very much similar to to that scene with the yeah. with the family coming back is that you know they're talking about the these attacks in tokyo and everything but all throughout the movie the the prime minister the cabinet officials all of them they're sitting nice and comfy in big mansions and all that and oh, yeah. and, and it's such a contrast to this movie and you know seta and sets goes home it, it's level mm-hmm. it's gone and they're they're having to to live uh, you know in this cave on the beach and i thought that contrast w- was very powerful especially at when you mm-hmm. when you also compare it with the scene that opens the movie, which I thought was a really interesting choice, was Takahata opens this movie with Seta dying, and and the way everybody treats him at the in that opening scene, and they're and they're just kind of like you know oh another one we got to clean these bodies out of here before before the you know the occupation troops arrive and all that and the idea of the the can spilling open and just like his, his ghost coming free because of that. And uh, what struck me is looking at the rest of the station there, all the other people who were in a similar situation as Seta. And it makes you wonder how many of those people had a similar story that was oh, just yeah. as heartbreaking. And, and it's, we, and we don't think about that. Yeah. And I, it goes back to that old, that old quote, which, often attributed to Stalin, although there's no proof he'd actually yeah. said it, but of, um, you know, one man's death is a tragedy, uh, yeah. you know, a million deaths is a statistic. And I think that's one of the, mm-hmm. the dangers when we talk about, about war is when we talk about casualties yeah. is we don't think about what the cost of that casualty yet is. Yeah, because when you hit the historical perspective, the one fact is the casualty. They say that they're part of this death. This is the casualties of war. When historically, when they look at that, they see okay, this is the devastation the war caused. Mm-hmm. But that's just a devastation on numbers. The devastation is more specifically in the testimony of the people affected, like the, the survivors are the witnesses to after the war like events that accepting of reality when the war ends, when they have lost their family, they are the most significant evidence because they directly experience what happened. Mm-hmm. And it's not just something in a cyclopedia or you know a history class that can examine one piece and examine it in a historical perspective. But then once you do the first primary documentation, you learn a lot more because there's so many other sides that you never considered because you've only been presented the history aspect of it, mm-hmm. which I think is more striking because that carries weight. Their testimony is worth something. It has personal evidence to them. It's connecting to them to what happened. And it connects us through them, through their perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think the, the personal testimonies are so important because of, because of everything you just said. And, you know, having that, you know, seeing what these stories are like, seeing, you know, what these people have gone through. Um, I mean, it, and it, it's something that I don't think there's a there's enough focus on um i think far too often a lot of people get caught up in the when when looking back on on wars of the past there's too much emphasis on military accomplishments or or you know weapons or or anything like that and not enough focus on what the casualties are unless you're trying to paint the other side right there's you know yeah obviously you know you know, from the American perspective, talking about all the atrocities of, that Japan had done, you know, Unit 731 or the Bataan Death March, or talking about the Nazis and the Holocaust and, and, and on and on and on. But there's not as much weight given to the atrocities yeah. that the Allies caused because yeah. the, the, you know, the, I mean, uh-huh. I remember when, uh, as one example, when I was in, in elementary school and we first learned about the internment uh, and a uh, 
I called them, I, I, I said to my teacher, I called them a uh, concentration camps and, and she corrected yeah. me. She's like, no, 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 no. They weren't constant. We didn't do concentration camps. The Nazis did concentration camps. We did internment camps and growing up and as, as you go back and you research the history of concentration camps, you actually realize that no, the term was accurate. It's just, it's become associated with the death camps as well. And, and, and Americans wanted to put that buffer zone between what was well, reality I and like the concentration camp and internment camps that we had on and that because i'm american uh, i think that what we had was i mean a policy say oh yeah we will protect the pow's that's fine but we also uh at one point in the war effort suspected just regular citizens of asian descent right japanese and all that stuff as potential traders so we put them in a, a not necessarily a concentration camp but an entire community just for them to live out their lives because they, they can't prove themselves not to be war enemies so at the preventive nature we just put them into this living situation that's you know not as ideal and they're just living all together because they are forced to do it um i i'd still argue that they're the, it meets the definition of, of concentration camps yeah. because especially when yeah. they we they um, them of tre treason when in reality right they were just want to support the war effort just as much as the american people did right there was there was an old saying in the pre-war days that if you wanted to if you wanted to make a nisei um second generation japanese immigrants if you wanted to make them truly american have them spend some time in Japan, have them visit relatives in Japan, and then they'd come back and they'd want to stay in America. Um, and like the, the, the Nisei, the Sansei, especially, they were, uh -huh. they were very, had very, had much stronger connections to, to America than they did to Japan. But just the, the fact they, because of their family history, because they looked different, there was suspicion placed upon them. It was, oh, yeah. and, and not only that, but their families had everything stolen from them basically by the yeah. governments. Um, and so, but that's one example of, you know, atrocities that the Americans committed against, or you look also at the, you know, yeah. the nuclear bombings, the, 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 the fire bombings of, of these cities, the deliberate yeah. targeting of civilian areas for, you know, to try to hasten the, the end of the war. I mean, those are things that aren't really talked about as often and i think it's important when you're talking about mm -hmm. about war is to look at both of those of those sides of it and look at yeah. yeah you the the japanese were bad but the americans were not necessarily 100 heroes either no uh uh i don't think that at all um i think with the uh you know with the take a bit historically back on the uh, Americans attempt to isolate Asian descent and Japanese. Well, they, like 10 to 15 years later, recognized that as a liability. So they did a restitution of sorts. They gave back money to the families that, to, you know, or in the ordeal of that atrocities that they did. And with, uh, with the justification to end a war with two nuclear bombs, and it's just a testing of those bombs because they hadn't actually previously used them in action, mm -hmm. is sentiment to the will of the Japanese people not to give up. And once they had that hope taken away from them, they had to take so much loss of life them well that was a that was a common belief at the time although the 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 even even contemporary contemporaneously japanese experts disputed that um and they had yeah. they had warned truman that you know that's that's not the case you know the people here yeah. are are actually very anxious to see the war end and um and there was a lot of the the people who would push that that narrative were actually yeah, the people it, who knew the least not, about Japanese society. That um, is not that should not have happened, but it right. did. Right. I'm and just saying the reasons immediately surrendered and did because like you showed Iron Fist, yeah, good, but like 
what does that give us? It doesn't give us anything. Mm-hmm. It just makes the t- the death toll even more than what the yeah. war did. Yeah, and it, it especially because it was just it, it was wholly unnecessary. It was especially the sec. Like I think there are some you could possibly make an argument for the first nuclear bomb, although I still think that was a mistake too. But I think when you get when you're talking about Nagasaki, I think then you're getting into definitely you're getting into war crimes territory at that point because there was absolutely no need for for the second bomb and at that point it just seemed there's also an element of i think also the dehumanization uh of the japanese played into that as well in in american propaganda and there's this idea that you know all the japanese would rise up and fight against the americans when not really i mean and a lot of people did the the accounts of you know civilians committing suicide because the americans were coming in were overstated and and um and, and far less common than than was what what was thought i mean yeah we built up a democracy in japan but like mm-hmm. does that really be amends for what we did in the two bombings no definitely not so. yeah it doesn't yeah. even compare because it, that's thousands of years of retribution to even get any remotely close to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing too is one of the interesting aspects of this movie is that it's it's often defined as an anti-war film. Uh, but one of the interesting oh. things is that Takahata always insisted that it's not um, it's not I an anti-war it's film. An anti-war film. I, I think it's this depiction of what what is. I don't mm-hmm. think it's anti-war. I don't think it's like telling that war should not happen. It's, t- it's presenting the real life of what war is. And yeah, yeah. I it think it does it uh, really well in that telling of that story, depicting the situation, what war life is. Yeah. Uh, talk- without it, we don't have the uh, comparison of what is what is the experience, how does it play out, and does it, how does it affect us people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had asked this question to my students, and there's kind of there was um there's definitely a mixed response. Like I think about half the class thought it was an anti-war film. Half the class thought it it wasn't an anti-war film. Um, Here's what Takahata actually said in an interview, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, He said, Japan was devastated by the war. We should never forget that just as we should never forget that we also inflicted a lot of suffering on other countries. However, nobody knows how horrifying a war is going to be at the beginning of hostilities. Grave of the Fireflies isn't an anti-war film simply because it cannot prevent another war from happening yeah and uh you know just because well the power of that statement is saying that it's a depiction of war mm-hmm. but war is going to happen regardless if it's in a, in a movie form book or real life it's going to happen because human differences resources money wealth uh control of a certain domain all that influences culturally, you know, hostility, all that influences what causes a war. Mm-hmm. And those causes often have a buildup of aggression and then that match to the gasoline ignites a brush, a wildfire that is just can't be, un, can't be stopped, can't be mm-hmm. unleashed. You can't prevent it, so you do the action, and then it happens. You mm-hmm. can't go back from it. Yeah, um, and I think what you some something you had said in there, and, and something that uh, Takahata had said, I think really makes an interesting point because one of Takahata's regrets about this movie is that he felt that because this is just a depiction of what happens to people in war. Um, he he actually expressed some some worry that the film could actually be used to justify military aggression, military buildup, you know, because because the attitude being like, oh well, look if if we had if we had more weapons, if we had if we were better prepared, if we had stronger defenses, we could have prevented all of this from happening. And I think that's a I thought that was a really because when I first saw this movie, my first thought was, oh yeah, it's obviously anti-war. And then, but reading. Takahata, what Takahata said after the fact, it, it really made me kind of question that and and thinking, you know, maybe there's 
you know, it, it makes a good point, right? It because these types of, especially in you know, dealing with the potential remilitarization of Japan, which has been discussed in, in recent years, is this the idea that um, one of the things that the Japanese right wing in particular loves to do is is paint Japan as a victim, um, and 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 use victim and aggressive. I, I think so. Yeah, I think exactly. It's it's much more nuanced. I agree. Um, they do. There is this. I. The, but one of the things that the right wing does try to do here is they try to paint Japan as one hundred percent a victim, and was and and that's been used as an argument to kind of justify the you know potential repeal of, of Article Nine and, and things of that nature. And um, I think the I think the fact that I think Takahata's, you know, kind of one regret about the movie is that it doesn't go far enough in in condemning war, I think is uh, is an interesting perspective that he had on that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's really hard to make a movie that is presuming war and demeaning the meaning of war. Mm-hmm. Because usually you can only go like one way with it. Yeah, if you go both ways, you can lose the narrative. So in the narrative that he presents was real life war conditions, which what which probably did better than uh, an anti-war message, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Because once you start now, there is ways to present war life conditions and then. Have a transition in the movie as an anti-war message mm-hmm. that can be certainly done but that is not it's that is not particularly strong because it just it has the core element like dedicated to another story mm-hmm. you have to do it you have to do it in a way that's convincing right right yeah yeah i it it would have been a tall order i think to to really kind of work an anti-war message into this i think that's, that's a good point um i i did think it was interesting that takahata kind of had that perspective on yeah. on the movie though looking back on it um because the movie it it um it can be it can, it can be read those two different ways um uh one other thing is, is that i thought was really interesting and the last shot when you know Seta and Setsuko's ghosts are sitting together on on the bench, and and you know the camera pans up and you see it, it's modern Japan in the background. And I thought that was such a powerful image. Um, uh, what did you think was the the symbolism of that? What how did that strike you? Oh, what did it again? The the final shot when they're sitting in the in the bench and the camera pans up and you see that the hill that they're sitting on, the hill that's overlooking the city, it's not you know, the Japan that they died in, it's modern Japan in the background. I mean, I think that is a scope to after the warlike conditions, the recovery effort and the ability to try to have a normalcy after the war is symbolic. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's now the progression of life after war it took more it took less time to rebuild than the time it took to take that many lives mm-hmm. so the, the regression aspect afterwards is just to me too fast mm-hmm. because the law you know the loss of life took so many years Okay. Yeah. My, my reading of that scene is, uh, I thought it was, it was, it was really powerful for me because I, I took it to mean that it's almost like a cautionary tale. The fact that we, um, that these stories are often forgotten and, and I think that the ghosts are still, you know, still exist and those ghosts still exist in, in modern Japan. And if, we don't acknowledge those those ghosts that exist if we don't acknowledge the suffering that that people went through right you know the old the old um the old adam that you know uh people who forget the past are doomed to repeat it oh yeah it's uh it's a teaching lesson mm-hmm. sure. because you have to look at history through 
historical events to take account what could happen in the future. Right. And there's right. some preventive nature if you if society looked at that as a preventive nature. Just imagine okay, this situation happened, so let's make this a thing and fix this. Mm-hmm. Imagine how precautious society would be. And actually that's another problem because if you you become too precaution, then you basically don't have the freedom to do this because this has to be prevented at all costs. Right. So you have to take it as you can't be too precaution, but you have to take in consideration what is the causes. So if you take the I mean, causes and the acts of the aggression up to it, one thing that will never is appeasement. Appeasement mm-hmm. is going to always lead to more war. And it took another war of appeasement to let that happen? Right, yeah. I, I mean, it was two wars, both because un, you know they don't notice what's happening and then they're too late. Mm-hmm. Both, both great wars are like that. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the Second Great War, too. Mm-hmm. Well, especially, if, I mean, you look at what's happening now, current global situations, uh, what's it's, happening with, yeah. with Russia and Ukraine, um, and, you know, the implications that has for, for China and, and Taiwan or, or Hong Kong and, uh-huh. and all these, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I think the, I agree, the, the appeasement side of things is definitely a very, a very slippery slope. Um, that was pretty much most of the things that, that I, that kind of yeah. jumped out at me about this movie. Was there anything else we haven't mentioned that kind of jumped out at you? Anything you wanted to focus on? Um, I think they bring it up of the system. Mm-hmm. And continually caring with her when there was really no one else. And she will have like all these outbursts because she didn't understand the situation. Mm-hmm. So her emotional uh, outbursts or signs of the real life condition happening, she's not able to understand what's going on. Not only that, her brother has to take care of her provide the safety net that a father might present mm-hmm. and the absence of such slaughter and also bind together to get resources for food which you know end up stealing from the farmer and the farmer finds out about it and the farmer's reaction to that is detrimental to them because they're basically cascading that you should not steal we don't have enough food. Mm-hmm. And his reaction is more relevant in that because now what they're going to do for food, they don't have this resource that they were kept using for the, from the vice, uh, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he plays an interesting role because he's trying to go to food and he doesn't have much of it. So they're stealing it and he's furious. Mm-hmm. That's also a really good... I think a statement because he mentioned he makes mention of the fact that you know it, it's for the war effort, yeah. and and that's that's another aspect I think about this movie that's one of the subtler aspects, which is I think, um, if they were probably more pronounced, then I think you make a stronger argument for it being an anti-war film. But the fact that the towards the end of the war, especially the 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 imperial armor ar- army, the imperial military was basically bleeding the country dry, like it. Wow. At the end of the war, there was like nothing happening in Japan that was not devoted to the war effort. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it took, yeah, the, the national policy was to provide as much as possible. When in reality, they didn't really have much gain because they were losing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, okay. Um, the, yeah, all, all that's really interesting. I think what you mentioned too about about Setsuko and just like being unable to really comprehend everything that was happening. Yeah. Uh, that was something that also, that also jumped out at me. It's something that, that I was paying really close attention to. Um, and uh, one of the, the scene when she reveals that she, that she knows that her, that their mother is dead, I thought was yeah. that, that was a, a really powerful one, especially when, when Seta breaks down like that, because mm-hmm. um not only, I mean, there's so many ways to read that scene. One way is obviously that, you know, he's sad because he 
because she had to find this out without his help, without him being there for her. Um, but also I, another way I, I read it too is because it reminded me when my own father passed away and just the the delay and the, the, the kind of denial and, you know, not allowing yourself to, to feel that until you, you can't hold it back anymore. I think there's a, there was definitely an aspect to that in, in what Seta was going through in that moment. Hell yeah. I think it's especially strong because there's, I, we really have barely any glimpses of the father. We only have hey. him in flashbacks. And I, uh, I don't, I think, didn't he, pass away i don't think he's back it's it's never confirmed one way or the other but they'd said um the when when Seta finds out about the war he asks you know what about the navy what about all the ships and mm -hmm. and the guy says oh there's not a single ship left they were all sunk so so he kind of and the fact that they hadn't heard anything they hadn't gotten any letters from the yeah. father there's there's kind of Seta kind of like accepts that his father is gone yeah. So even though we don't, and I think that's that's another aspect too of the of the movie that's is that there's so there were so many people that didn't know if their if their fathers or their sons or their brothers or their husbands were even still alive at the end there, because yeah. just so much of the of the communication had just broken down by that point. Um, oh yeah. Okay, uh, Mason. Um, any other things you wanted to mention about? Uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Um, I don't know. I cover most of the topics. I think one such feature we need to explore is like the continuation of what is expected for nationhood, nationality, mm -hmm. respecting your nation. Is is there a way? Is there a point that you stop, or is there a point you just keep going and expect the the best? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's a that's a good question. Um, it's hard to answer. I mean, you know, since you know leaving leaving America and since living in Japan, I've definitely moved further further away from national types of pride and that kind of stuff. So, so, um, but it is interesting when I because I do talk about that's one of the themes I touch about in a lot of my classes. Not so much with this movie, but yeah. um, with other movies I've talked about with my students and about that idea of, you know, at what point does patriot patriotism turned into blind nationalism? And I think that's a yeah. it's a really important thing to to keep in mind and, and people should, you know, watch themselves on. Um, all right, Mason, uh, I know you mentioned it earlier at the beginning of the show, but yeah. um, say it again, remind people where they can find you and, and your show and, and all that fun stuff. They can find me at uh, Facebook, Logan C. Anime. That's the official page I have right at the moment. Uh, that page has my, all my LinkedIn accounts, uh, all my link social media on the link tree. Uh, that's link tree MC Anime. You can also have another sorts you can do. And then uh, at blog MC Anime, you can just use that as a social media handle. Uh, capital B L O G, capital M, capital C, capital A M N I M I M E. It's all single, no spaces in between. So, and we do daily episodes. And thank you for having me. Daily episodes, my God, that's a. Well, we do about four weeks. Give or take three to four. Okay, that that that's uh, my hats off to you, man. That's daily episodes. That's that's got to be that's a, that's I, a grind. I did that. I did that in with blogging. Oh, I so see. I, know, I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I used to do daily posts, and it just got too much. So yeah, I stepped yeah. back and tried to do like two or three a week. It. I think that platform, that model, worked for me, so it looks out better. Because I don't have someone designing cover arts for me every single day, so. Mm -hmm. I have to give them enough time to design it. Maybe it can take two days to design it. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, thanks again for for coming on the show. Um, it was it was nice talking about Grave of the Fireflies and getting some different ideas about it. So thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Okay. Uh, so that does it for this episode of Japan on Film. As always, go to japanonfilm.com if you're interested in being on the show or if you just want to leave some comments about it and please make sure to rate and review us on 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're watching this on YouTube, please make sure to like and subscribe. And that does it for this episode. Um, Also, Japan on Film on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next time.